Hello, this is Hardin Coleman, faculty director for the Center for Character and Social Responsibility at Boston University's Wheelock College of Education and Human Development. You're listening to the very first season of Caring, Character, and Community, the Center's podcast. In this season, we will focus on learning from leaders about how they integrate the ethic of caring, they focus on their own and others' character development, and a commitment to serving the needs of the community in order to guide and inform their leadership decisions in times of crisis. Today, we're speaking with Ken Armour, who's Dean of Students and Associate Provost at Boston University. In that role, Ken has helped the university become more student-centered and created a culture of deep civic engagement. My personal favorite Ken story, and we all have one, is a conversation he has with new faculty. After covering a variety of topics, he pauses and he says, there's one thing that you absolutely have to do for our students. And they all lean forward and he says, love them. So Ken, we want to thank you for sharing your time with us to talk about the role of caring, character, and community as a leader uh, during times of crisis. I want to start by asking how this year has been for you and what has been your biggest challenge and biggest learner learning in this year. Wow. Well, thanks, Harden. I appreciate I appreciate that story and uh, I don't remember it. So uh, it's nice that you think of me so profoundly. Uh, but thanks for having me here and thanks for the conversation. You know, I always love that. Um, you know, I, I think that the thing that has been the biggest challenge in the, over the course of the last uh, 18 months or more um, has really been how we try to really look at compassion, uh, plain and simple. Uh, I've, I've been in a role where I've had to be an enforcer, where I've had to uh, make sure that people are following the rules, uh, making sure that people are in a bit of this forced solidarity. And so the thing that I think I have been challenged with is uh, how we how we do that? How do we force this level of solidarity? And, you know, making sure that in the process, I think, and this is what I've learned, too, about this all, in the process, making sure that you leave room for compassion. Uh, and what I, what I mean by that is making sure that in the process of trying to force people to move in one way to look after each other, and I could talk more about that that solidarity, but really to be in community with each other, that you think about things like allowing for exact uh, exemptions uh, because people have different stories. Uh, it's little things like signing off fondly. Uh, as opposed to sincerely or because I said so. Uh, and it's also showing people that you will demonstrate the care. Uh, I, I've learned how important it is that I wipe things down, that I keep my mask on, that I distance but acknowledge people. It's important to be able to say, uh, I realize that we can't take our mask off, but I know who you are, or at least I'm going to ask you to say your name and tell me who you are so we can do that. And of course, being the example for vaccinations, I, I think that all goes into this demonstration of some compassion given all the difficulties. And uh, that, that's been an important piece. I think that that's one of those big things that I learned. You know, I, I, I think that I also, like so many people, I think over the course of this time, I learned a lot about needing to take a pause. Um, I'm not one who had been doing that very often. 
And I think that pause was really important for me to take stock of my life, um, take stock of uh, better appreciation of the people I love, uh, doing some things that work for my soul, um, and that I had been taking my body and where I placed my body, where I, I was for granted. And so, you know, I think a big learning piece for me was to uh, take a pause and, and to not always be about perfection. Um, that's been the big learning pieces for me. How hard was that for you? Oh, that was real hard. I mean, it's, um, uh, I mean, you know, you know who I am, Harden, and you know that um, I can reflect on a whole lot of things, uh, but I am pretty hard on myself. Um, I do suffer from having to feel like everything has to be perfect. Uh, and that was really, really difficult because it meant that I had to do some things different in my life. It means that I had to change my perspective a little bit. It means that I had to think of my relationships in very different ways. So I found it excruciating. Uh, and, and excruciating because of the answers I think I knew I would find, right? And so, for example, I have to reevaluate this job and my role in this job and, and this community. I had to reevaluate friendships uh, and, and would they hold based upon proximity or not. Um, that was hard. And, and I think the hard part is what you, or at least for me, what I thought my conclusions and the consequences would be. I was a bit afraid of that. You know, that's, that's, that's so difficult, but you used the word compassion earlier in terms of yeah. how you had to approach uh, a lot of these issues of crisis and, uh, you know, very close to this idea of, of caring. And, and so how does that really play in your decision making and where is being caring and compassionate most challenging? Mm. You know, I, I think that caring and compassion are most challenging when you are in different places with the other human being. Um, that, that's where it's challenging. When I say that, I mean, you, you know, I'm privy to a lot of knowledge and a lot of information, especially as we talk in, in the context of COVID. I, I talk to mathematicians, I talk to modelers, I talk to doctors, I read a lot more than most people might. And I also am in a position where I've got to make some big decisions for a lot of people. And so the compassion is hard because, you know, compassion begs us to be ready for those individual stories, uh, ready to hear people out and to where you can try to maybe do it a little bit differently for each individual. That is impractical and that's hard. You know, there's this other aspect about compassion that's been difficult, especially in the last few months, twofold. Uh, we're in this conversation right now about vaccines and whether or not people get them. And I've got to remind myself that I have got to not only be patient with people who see vaccines differently than I do, but I've also got to keep compassion for these people because they're human beings and they're not necessarily crazy people. I, I don't think that's the case, but boy, it is really, really difficult. Uh, we also should go during the pandemic and, and, and even before the pandemic to those points where we had to deal with and are still dealing with racial justice, uh, gender justice, 
um, uh, societal issues around healthcare, all those sorts of things. There are times when it is hard to show compassion for people who would like you to go away, maybe even be annihilated in your perception. And when I say compassion, well, we still need compassion to talk to each other. We still need compassion to persuade, convince each other. Uh, and, and, and not just to convince, but to be convinced. And it is difficult to show compassion for someone who you perceive or sense might want you to not exist uh, or might feel like they're in a power struggle with you uh, as an individual. So, but you, ha- I don't know, you, you have to do that though. I feel like you have to do that. And help me understand how in the, in the, nar- in the narrative about polarization. Yeah. Institutions like BU are seen as not being open to multiple points of view, not being compassionate for yeah. those who come from a value structure or a data source different than ours. So how, how, do, how do you reconcile? Is it, do you buy that? Or how do you see that challenge that um, R1 institutions, higher ed, elite, East Coast or coastal uh, don't get it? How, yeah. how, how do you work in that space? Yeah, you know, I, I, I think there is something to that. And then I also don't buy it entirely. Uh, you know, certainly being inside a space like this, I can see plenty of examples where people are opening open to the listening. Uh, maybe the persuasion's a lot more difficult, but I could see that. I also can see how we come across as very arrogant. Um, and I, and I th- and and also really one sided. I, I could see that. And I think part of it is that you know we're talking about values, we're talking about community and character and those sorts of things. I, I think that for the sake sometimes of being the good academic, for the sake of being, um, you, you know, uh, we 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 kind of go for this neutrality that doesn't exist. I think we try to act as though we are neutral actors on so many things. Not true. I mean, we do so many things that are an outward display of a certain way that we see the world. Take, for example, the conversation right now around societal racism, institutional racism. We like to say that all viewpoints are could matter here. But fact is, we have adopted to some extent um, a, a, a certain kind of viewpoint, a worldview, a certain critique of institutional racism, and uh, I think a, a relatively, relatively progressive approach to uh, how we handle that. But we don't say that. And I think part of what we've got to do is to say that more. Institutions of higher education, because we, 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 we've got to be, we want to be open to everyone. I think that we also don't say, hey, look, if you come into the house, here are the things that we are incredibly committed to. And that might mean that there's some things that don't really float around here. Um, but, but I think there are two messages there, right? There's one that says you can come into our house, but there's the other message too that says, 
but, but here's what we're committed to. Look, you, we are in my office, and I think it's just clear walking into my office that there's a certain vibe that I give off. There's a certain something about me that you would know even if I weren't standing in here. And we do that with our houses. And, and I think people know how to behave when they go into other people's houses. And I think that what we've got to do is more messaging, not signaling, but real discreet, I'm sorry, real specific and, and plain messages about who we are, what we're about. You know, we're, we're like newspaper reporters or newspapers where we say, oh no, we have this certain journalistic uh, neutrality. We, we like to do that as academic uh, folk, but I'm, I'm just not sure that that's gonna fly anymore, that veneer, because I think it's a veneer. As part of the criticism is that we pretend as if we're all data-driven and rational and reasonable, but we're, and then, and then we don't lead with our values and therefore, there's a certain hypocrisy yeah. that we can be claimed because when, when, when push comes to shove, we will act on our values. Yeah, that's right. That's right. I, I, I think that's an important part that you're raising there. Um, that's precisely what it is. We, we, we act one way and we talk a different way uh, around these things. And I think we've just got to be real blatant and real upfront that we understand that we are in a certain part of the country where uh, a certain viewpoint is a little tougher because of the people who are here in this community. They come at it a different way. Uh, but we need to be clear about that. The other thing, too, is I think that we also have to recognize, too, that even in this community, and maybe there are a lot of us who are like-minded in this community, but we also have these disagreements in this community ourselves maybe goes a little bit to that conversation that people have about safe spaces all the time. You know, I wonder if you can really have a safe space if people can't disagree in that space. Um, that, that's an important piece. And I also think that maybe we need to work a little harder on that. I also think that we've got to work a little harder too on maybe a new approach to what it means to have free expression and free speech. Uh, I think that we falling back constantly on uh, the First Amendment, I get it. That's important, a good starting space. But I, th I think that we have evolved in the ways that we express ourselves. Well, I shouldn't say evolve. We, we've, we've got different ways that we can express ourselves. So we've got different ways that we talk to each other. Uh, we've got different ways that we're in community than they, we were in 1787. And so I think we've got to think about different ways that we have a societal or community decorum uh, a community care, because this is about care, I think, uh, and how we address and deal with the harms that our minds cause with each other and our expression causes with each other. Uh, and I, I, I would hope that we, as uh, apparently smart people at an R1, uh, that we can find different ways to talk about this and maybe even put forward and even maybe even lead a little bit on uh, different conceptions of them, both you know, in legal context in civ and civil context. You know, Ken, in, as a higher, educa higher education institution, you have lots of constituencies, students, professors, staff. So, you know, as you move forward with something like, you know, uh, freedom of speech and the issues that you deal with on a constant basis in, in the office, can you give an example of how you how using a commitment to community and caring has helped you balance the commitments to these groups? An example of when it works, and also an example when it when it's hard to make it work. Yeah. 
Well, I, I think that, you know, one of the ways that I'm constantly dealing with this, uh, and, and, you know, it's interesting, I think I tend to take, when we look at something like free expression, free speech, I tend to take an approach where I think that compassion has to be an important piece of this. It's got to be a part of the consideration. You know, I, went, I, I remember my father once said, just because you can say it doesn't mean you should. Uh, and, and, you know, that's his way of saying, look, we got to care for other people. We got to live with each other. Uh, we got to live with, as he would say, we got to live with these people. And so we, we just can't go doing this because they don't go away. We still have to work with each other. So, um, you know, the, the, I, I think some of the real prime examples where there is this approach to me trying to push people to care uh, it, it comes up when something in the society happens, right? Uh, uh, Asian American uh, violence, Asian violence, um, George Floyd, uh, violence against trans people and queer folk, um, and and when they get those national, when it gets that national attention, uh, and I, I'm going to throw the Me Too uh, movement in there as well. Um, when these things get national attention, is when we coalesce in groups. Uh, it's when we demand of each other not only a certain way that we've got to live our lives, but it's also a demand that we make in terms of, uh, I'm going to say litmus test. I'm going to say uh, we need vocal and very visible um, uh, support of a certain way to look at the cause as it comes out, because it's usually very focused, very specific. And the hard part in, in, in my role is that Everyone is demanding that I uh, use the platform that I have to say, this is the way we all need to live based upon what Harden has told us um, or Harden's approach. The compassion is trying to push people to do a little homework. And when I say do a little homework on a real basic level, have you spoken to more people about this? Can we wait a little while? So here's the other compassion piece patience. Can we wait and get a little more information? And maybe that's my sort of research uh, uh, piece here where I want more information, especially where I know that things change so quickly uh, from where we, f what we first receive as information to what things shake out as. Um, patience also in terms of how we express what it is that we want to see whether it be the change or whether it be the statement, you know, that is real nuanced. And I think all of that is really about compassion. That is really about saying, I, for one, need to see the other person as a person, as a human being. And I want to push people to not just see the news characters that are there or the people in news reports that are there as just characters, but to really see them as people too. And that the people who are uh, at the suffering, in, in many cases, it's about suffering. Uh, they're human beings. They're people. They've got stories. They've got families, even if they've done bad things. And that we've got to try to hold some solidarity. I think the other compassionate piece, too, is when we group up around principles. So, for example, uh, if I am a Black Lives Matter supporter, which I am, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll confess that. Um, or admit that or acknowledge that. I also have to see solidarity with other movements that fit within uh, the Black Lives Matter sphere, vision, and philosophy that may come at me in really strange ways. 
And it might mean that I've got to support movements that are uh, presenting as white, if you will, uh, or presenting as police, if you will, if it if it's into the vision, because that's compassion and that's also solidarity. That's the unity of feeling that's really important. Uh, and, and we I think we underestimated as human beings. Unity of feeling is so, so important. And us being able to see those connects are important. So when I'm working with student groups, uh, when I am talking to faculty uh, and where people are pushing, this is the side you must take. This is the way you must express it. I'm always pushing back a little bit to say, I need to wait and see. I also need to try and get more of the narrative and the stories of many of the people who are involved. And I also need to make sure it's relevant to this really vast group of people that we've got here in this community. We're a community of people don't know that has, it's like Mesopotamia. People are here from all over the world, literally. And, and so the way that we express something, especially if we want to push for change and we want other people to participate in that conversation, other people to live their lives a certain way, we've got to find a way to talk to people from all over the world about that, some of whom may not quite understand why we look at the issues in the American context the way that we do around race or around gender or um, you know, other features like that. Can you give an example of you know the credit appealing and 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 appealing is when we talk about how uh, BU has become increasingly a compassionate place and caring, student focused. These are clearly the values that have led led you and the institution in this direction. Can you give an example when it just didn't work, the way you uh, anticipated or wanted, yeah. uh, in a way that led you question whether being compassionate was a a, a useful uh, leading principle as a leader. Yeah. Uh, so one of the things, and I'll stick with the free expression and, and unity of feeling, the solidarity, uh, we had a, uh, one of our student organizations invite a speaker to the campus. Uh, ben Shapiro is the speaker. And um, it was one where my, our push to try and make sure that people would be safe um, and, and, and by the way, just back up real quick, we all know that uh, that speaker is one who um, people come out who have death threats, people fight each other, uh, uh, really problematic sort of circumstances happen in terms of people's lives. Uh, you know, all the push, there was a lot of pushing and shoving. The goal was to try and make sure that we supported people who took a different approach to him uh, protesters, people who uh, found and still find his views abhorrent and racist and every sexist uh, the works, to give them a space to demonstrate that to the people who were going to go in and hear him out or in some cases support him. Um, we wanted to make sure that we, in you know, it's funny, we brought the community together outside and inside an arena um, to be able to at least see and hear each other. I don't think it worked. Uh, I don't think it worked because it created more vitriol than, than understanding. It created more fear and more of a suspicion of each other than it created the chance to get into a room to talk to each other, uh, to understand each other. 
uh, to really be in community with each other and understand uh, how people who feel passionately about ideas uh, express themselves and also try to solve for those kinds of things or to refute them in some cases or to promote them in other cases. Uh, I, I'm just not sure it worked. And we had an incredible, and I think we still do, uh, we have a, a lot of lingering um, bad blood, if you will. We have not healed, I think, as a community. Uh, I'm still in conversations with people who say, and you let Ben Shapiro come here. Or, and you let those protesters razz me and, to and yell at me before I went into the space. Uh, no one feels as though you've supported them. Uh, I think that it was a prime example of actually free speech and expression at its at its uh, maybe its um, most basic level. Uh, but people were out on the streets expressing themselves. Uh, there were no deaths. There was no uh, there were there was no damage, and uh, people were able to put their views out in front. But uh, the compassionate approach to understanding patients, uh, gathering wisdom. Uh, coming together uh, and maybe using this as an experience that is about genuine healing, but also substantive change uh, and substantive uh, looks at this the way that maybe uh, uh, people at a university should. Uh, that just did not happen. And maybe maybe it will ultimately. You know, I'm hoping that in the long view, it, it's a good point and might be part of a discussion or two or three or several in the future. And maybe it plays itself out to actually be a solid, uh, a solidarity moment or a multiple solidarity moments in ways that we just haven't thought of yet. But Ken, almost could you, are you suggesting that this was approximation error in the application of the compassionate principle hmm. that you can learn from and it's not necessarily means that you need to be less compassionate, but but learn from this and more thoughtful or seeking a better way when another controversial moment comes? Is there, is there more pre-work or post-work that you need to prepare for? Because a lot of it doesn't happen on so. Yeah, yeah, you know, that's a great point, Harden. Yes, I do think that this might have been uh, an era, and here's, here's why. Not an era, but uh, that maybe we should have thought differently about a controversial speaker physically coming to campus in the internet age. Um, a lot of my thinking was, quite frankly, uh, and, and it goes back to my conversation about the First Amendment, it was very First Amendment uh, thinking. It was very uh, 1960s, 70s thinking about protest and, and those sorts of things. And maybe the battle is actually, and the compassion is actually happening, but it might be online, right? It, I, I, maybe maybe uh, my old world thinking got us moving in a direction that was uh, old world, uh, but maybe not as significant in this conversation, the need be. And so now you've got me thinking that what we've maybe got to do is to spend a little bit more time in the online space and not poo-pooing it or, or not letting it just go free for all as a way to get to inject that compassion and to really get to some of those points that I, I was hoping for. So you got me thinking. I think that that might be the, the case as we as I look back. To go back almost a safer place 
to engage in different viewpoints. Yes. That doesn't necessarily have to demand a physical expression, which then, right. as you know, we get, we get, our blood gets up, we get going, and... Um, yeah. But, but Ken, before we let you go, you know, I want, as you think about how you've integrated caring, uh, focus on character development, yours and others, and uh, uh, the building a flourishing caring community, what advice would you give to your younger self? Hmm. What would you, knowing what you know now, what would you want that person to know um, as they're going forward? Yeah, wow, that's good. Uh, I, I would probably say to my younger self some things that I've already said. Uh, I would probably say to my younger self, uh, you got to get out more. Um, you've got to spend some time just talking with people. And you're going to have to go into some territories that won't initially feel very comfortable to you from an emotional standpoint. But you got to talk to those people who are in that space. You know, don't do anything that's going to be dangerous to you, right? Don't go into a place with a Confederate flag. But you should be able to go into some spaces and feel confident about that. I think I'd also say to my younger self, stop worrying so much about fitting in. Um, I, I need for you to really think about walking into a space, owning it, and belonging in that space and feeling that. That, that, that would be another thing I'd say. And then, of course, I, I'd say to my younger self, and I said this earlier, you have got to hit pause and you have got to, from time to time, just think. Just think. It'll make you feel more human. Just think. Think about what you're about to do. Think about where you want to go and how you might get there. And then I would also, I think, say to my younger self, um, you know, good enough's good enough. And you don't have to, you don't have to get the perfect score every single time. You don't have to be uh, the person who uh, chooses his words so per perfectly that you lose the ability to explore with this person or with these folk. You've, you've got to, you got to hit the pause and you've got to back off of that being perfect. You know, Ken, and, and you share this with some of the other ladies we, we, we've talked with, the, the, the need to be self-reflective and give yourself the time and care and to open yourself to others is very difficult to do. And, 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 and yeah, yes, as we get older, a little more secure, maybe come easier. Right. But as you're suggesting, the earlier we start being open, and the same thing as you're talking about, leaning into controversial ideas and different opinions. You know, leaning in be, doesn't mean they become yours. That's right. Threat yourself to know more. Yeah. Well, you know, there, there's this other piece, and I um, and this is hard too. I so another confession. I'm not someone who's wired for the death penalty. I just don't. I don't like it. Uh, there's not much that I, I have good to say about it. Uh, I, I just think in, a, in, a, in 2021, we shouldn't be, the government shouldn't be killing people. Uh, I, I just don't, I just don't get it. Well, I do, I, however, I do get it, right? I know that there are human beings out there that I need to be able to talk to who have really cogent reasons why a death penalty works for them. And by the way, a lot of times the death penalty is really a conversation about community and character and personal vision and where you get your values from. So it's, a, it's an intensely personal uh, conversation. And so, you know, 
it, it, it's what we practice where I say, I, dis I may disagree with you about the death penalty, but I don't think you're crazy for believing in the death penalty. I don't think you are terrible as a person for believing in it. And I think unfortunately, sometimes we give that vibe off. And I hope that what I can also do, if I talk to you about the death penalty and we can go back and forth about that, I also hope that I will ultimately be able to leave that conversation to say, while I can't work with you on the death penalty, I hope that we can get together to work on something else. And that's important, important, uh, I think, human work right there. Yeah, yeah. You know, for, for me, the, the, that conversation is also in the Right to Life movement. I know, I know there's spaces I'm not going to share with you, except we all agree we should have life in which children can flourish. What are we doing there? You know, we'll, 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 how do we let go of the seeming disagreement, ignoring the areas of, of, of agreement on which we can work together without having to be in complete agreement about everything? Very hard. And growing, growing a, a perspective and how we grow that ability to live with difference in our educational system is, in my mind, one of, one of our great needs as we move forward if we're going to continue as a United States. Mm -hmm. Global economy, these are key issues that we're already seeing uh, threatened in a way that, frankly, not in our lifetime. Right. In our lifetime, you know, certainly in 1930s, uh, the world was much more there than it is now. But, yeah. Okay, Ken, thank you for your time. Hey, thank you, Harden. This was fun. And look, look, look forward to an ongoing conversation. All right. Good seeing you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Caring, Character, and Community, the podcast of the Center for Character and Social Responsibility at Boston University's Wheelock College of Education and Human Development. The development of this podcast has made possible the generous support from the BU's Wheelock College of Education and Human Development and a grant from the Kern Family Foundation. Thanks also to Lizzie Barquet for her editorial and production work on this podcast. The music you're, listening, you're hearing is Bluesy Vise by Doug Maxwell, produced by Media Right Productions. I'm Hardin Coleman, and thank you so much for listening.